London's alternative investment market is full of stocks which promise the world and a far smaller group that actually delivers. The pool of companies which continually exceed their own bullish targets is even shallower. I'm Alex Newman, a writer at the Investors Chronicle, and for this edition of Boardroom Talk, I'm pleased to be joined by one of those companies, and that's the US-based concrete levelling specialist, Samero Enterprises. So joining me today on the phone from Florida is Jack Cooney, Samero's President and Chief Executive, and Chief Financial Officer, John Youngster. Gents, very many thanks for joining me today. Jack, I wondered if I could start by asking you to give a, a layman's introduction to your products and services and why, you know, if you could just explain very briefly, anyone would want to use a concrete levelling machine. The concrete levelling machines are used on commercial buildings uh, on what we call slab-on grade, which is the, the base floor that goes on any building. And commercial buildings exist in all countries around the world. And the reason people would want to use a Samara laser screed is so they get a very flat and level floor along with wide placement of the concrete. So there's two significant advantages to it. The flatness comes into play for an awful lot of commercial buildings that will be using racking. It's also utilized in a great deal of commercial buildings that previously put down different types of tile on the floors. And when they put down the tile, if the floor is not flat, the tile will break or during the polishing operation, it will wear out. So it's very important that you have very flat and very level floors to put down any covering that's on it. A movement in the commercial building industry today is to do away with the expense of putting down tile and to use just the flat floor. And in the process there, it's very important that you have not only a flat floor, but you utilize wide placement so that the floor is polished so that it has a very, very professional appearance. The wide placement is very important because the other method of putting down concrete is to do it manually, and you have to do it in very small rectangles. And and you pour every other rectangle and then come back a couple of days later, remove the forming, and pour in between the rectangles that were done previously. When you pour that second slab, it does not bond with the first slabs that have been put down. And concrete shrinks over time. And therefore, you're going to end up with a crack in the floor, a very wide separation of the floor called a construction joint. And as trucks start to go over the floor, they're going to break down the edges of the concrete, and the concrete's going to break down the wheels on the truck. So now you end up with a very high level of maintenance on your floors and on your equipment. So when you put both of these things together, it makes for a very, very inefficient operation of the floor. And just one other thing, Alex, when you think about a building The floor is the most important part of the building because that's where all of the activity of any business takes place. It takes place right on the floor. In effect, are you you replacing the existing concrete laying element of, of the construction industry? Yes. The traditional method of doing that is manual and they have to do, they have to put up forming to create these rectangles. Typically a rectangle might be a, uh, five meters by 10 meters. 
and you pour the concrete in the rectangle and then climb in the concrete with a two-by-four or a straight edge, and they bend over, and with their hands, they move that straight edge back and forth in kind of a sawing motion, and they walk backwards, um, pulling the excess concrete with them. And then for all concrete floors, there's a whole finishing operation that takes place after the screening operation. But the manual work is very slow. It is very fatiguing. And one of the great benefits of a laser screen is uh, they can work as many days of the week as you want them to work. And in the manual part of things, you're very lucky if people can do that manually for more than three days in a given week. It's, It's pretty tough to be bent over for six or eight hours a day. Regardless of, of whether you've outsourced that job to your machines or, or a traditional labour team, I mean, you're still, as a business, you're, you're very highly geared to activity within construction markets. Is this the way we should value Samara as a company? Or, or does the fact that, you, you know, you have this intellectual property uh, and you, you have, you know, you, you service it mean that you should be seen more as a, a technology company? Um, yes, there's a lot of technology involved in our products, but... Uh, we and we do have intellectual property, but the thing that makes our business uh, so difficult for anybody to copy is that we are selling to a concrete contractor, and he's a specialty contractor like a plumber or electrician, and he is our only customer. And our job is to make him successful because if he's successful, we will be successful. And the concrete contractors exist in every country around the world. So from the value side of things, the way we, we make him so successful is we're not just in the machine building business. We will sell him a machine, and then we will teach him how to build floors using the wide placement technique, which is completely different from the manual technique he was using. And he will... He will who probably have 60 to 75 fewer employees, which saves him a tremendous amount of money. So the value proposition is not only in the technology, but it's in the tremendous support that we give to our customers. And the way we're able to get them that support in the one hour they have before the concrete sets up is we have a phone system set up 24-7 in which we have the ability to talk to you in 65 different languages. So if you've got a problem on the job, you just have to pick up your cell phone and you have to call our technical support line and we guarantee you that we will have a certified engineer on the phone in 10 minutes. So yes, we, we are a technical business, Alec, but we are definitely in the concrete floor business uh, as part of the construction industry. I mean, that point on, on language is an interesting one, Jack, because, I mean, you're speaking to me from Florida. Most of your market is in the US, but you're listed on London's junior market. Can you square the circle for investors here? Yes. We were brought on board in 1997 to sell the business for the family that invented this product, Dave and Paul Samaro. And through the years, we did sell the business uh, to a large New York corporation who, after five years, uh, and we were one of 52 freestanding companies, decided that they only wanted to have companies with sales over $100 million. 
So they divested 32 of those companies, and we were one of them, and we were bought by a private equity firm called Gore's in Los Angeles, California. And after being with Gore's a short while, they decided to take us public on the AIM as their exit strategy, and they had some experience with the AIM market. Um, so it, for us, it's been a, a fantastic experience. Um, we've been extremely impressed with the quality of the investors that we have in the AIM market. Um, we've been very fortunate to have nomads and brokers who could give us uh, extensive training and wisdom on how to approach things and how to explain things. And we've been very, very pleased with the investors and the shareholders we've had for, for 10 years now. So it's been it's been the best thing that could have happened to us. The feeling's clearly mutual because your you know your shares have performed very very well for a number of years. But I just want to talk about this year and some questions about where the shares are heading next because your focus is increasingly global. I mean, one of those markets is is China in the last couple of years. You recently told the market that it's been a bit a bit of a slow start to uh, 2017 there. So what's what's happening um, in China? Usually the first two months of the year because. Uh, are slow in China for two reasons. One, they have their spring festival, which is uh, their major holiday of the year. Every person, uh, every Chinese person, whether they live in China or not, comes home for a one or two week period. Also in China, all companies have to pay their employees a 13th month pay as a bonus right before the spring festival. So the cash flow for all companies in January and February is slowed down by that enormous, enormous outlay. So typically the, the buying season for us does not start until March. And that's also when jobs start up again, because when the spring festival is over with, everybody goes back to work. And this year, uh, the, the jobs have started up a little bit slower. Nobody's quite sure why in China. And our customers buy the equipment that they need when they have been given a paper purchase order that says they truly have the job, and it's going to start in a couple of weeks. Up until that point of time, they have a lot of verbal insurances, but they don't want to go out and spend their money until they're extremely sure that they have the job. And when they get that that purchase order, they're also given some mobilization money, which is usually a third to a half of the job. And that allows them to put their down payment on our machine and therefore start work. And so China has been slow to start this year, um, but has has got to a, a normalized point recently. And at the same time, we have, uh, we're doing some extensive work in China to take a real good look at uh, all of the activities that we're doing. Are we doing the right things in the right market? So every one of these parts of our business is being reviewed from top to bottom in, in the effort to look and see what we can do better to create greater growth at a faster pace in China. What's, what's the risk of uh, your technology being reverse engineered? Yes, the first person that reverse engineered one was a customer of ours in Holland in 1989. So we've had we've had competitors ever since 1989. 
Um, and there always will be competitors. There's always people that think that they can reverse engineer the machine and therefore they can sell it for less. Given our gross margins, they probably can sell it for less. But those are machine builders. And they build a machine and they put it in their catalog or they tell you, you know, if you want to buy one, come see me. After they sell you the machine, they may show you how to operate it in terms of pushing the levers and make things work, but they don't know how to teach you how to put down a concrete floor with it. And that's the problem that all of the competitors have had. And China is no different. We have some some people in China, some machine builders that have copied our small line machines at the very bottom end of our market, and they are building those machines and selling them into the marketplace for productivity usage only. It would uh, be amiss to, to, to spend too much on China, I suppose, given uh, the size of your largest market, uh, the US. I mean, in, the, in that recent trading update, you cited the weather as, as weighing on some projects, you know, given your very, very strong growth there in the last couple of years. I think the market may have taken that to be a, uh, a sign of things flattening out, if you excuse the, the pun. Um, but you've also mentioned there's a, a, a big backlog there. Uh, what are you predicting for the second half of 2017 in the US? Um, we think the second half of the year in the U.S. is going to be very good. It's going to be very similar to the first half. You're absolutely right. All of our customers have uh, very extensive backlogs all the way into 2018. They're all very, very confident. Um, the subjects that you mentioned in terms of uh, what happened in the first half, weather has been a real factor in the U.S. It's been the wettest winter that anybody can remember here. And the way that impacts us is only about half of the buildings are the floors put down with a roof over them. The other half, the floor is put down first and the rest of the building is built around the floor. In both cases, when you get a lot of rain, these job sites are out in fields or in in areas where there's an awful lot of land around the building because they haven't yet built the parking lots or other structures. So when you get a lot of rain, you get a tremendous amount of mud. And therefore, the heavy equipment, be it the concrete trucks or the, or the big flatbed trucks that are carrying the laser streets, can't get into the job. They will sink into the mud and have to be towed out. So you have to let the job sites dry out before the heavy equipment can come in. Um, you've seen the, the round trucks that we call ready-mix trucks that bring the concrete in inside, and then you've probably seen some pictures of the concrete pumps that have the booms that go way up in the air, and, and therefore the concrete's pumped out into the middle of where the slab is. These are all very, very heavy pieces of equipment that have to be on the job before we can start laser screening. So weather certainly has had an impact and certainly we're seeing some, a lot of political uncertainty relating to our newest uh, election. And that has people a little bit uncertain about exactly what it means to everybody. It's one of those things that's, that's very hard to define right. technically, but you can see it when you talk to people and everybody is just a little concerned about um, where is the future of the economy going under this new administration. Uh, one of the big pledges of, of his program was, and, and Hillary's, uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, program was, was commitment to infrastructure spending, which you'd think would translate 
well to to uh, uh, your services is the feeling that these infrastructure plans are just going to fall foul of the first hurdle no i think you know if i could just if i can guess at what the general mood of people are which is as you guys know very difficult to do i think to summarize it uh, when trump first got elected everybody loves the the three policies that he's talked about the most Re- replacing obamacare the tax reform program and the infrastructure. And and all of those things remain in place today. What has been the surprise to people is that he hasn't been able to come into office and put those things in instantly, that he's running into the political process, and that it's slowing down everything. We, we all believe, and I think everybody believes, that all three of these things are going to get done. Right. They're just going to take longer than people's expectations were uh, in the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year. And, and I think it's that, that's what's kind of created some of this uncertainty. It's not whether they'll get done, but how far dragged out are they going to be in the process. Sure. The legislative agenda in terms of corporate tax reform and the infrastructure program for us is not um, a, a a necessity for us to, to do well in business in our particular industry. It's more of a longer-term positive backdrop um, that we view as would be, you know, in effect, incrementally beneficial to the economy. John, I, I wonder, just, just to stick with that point and, and, and bringing another part of the uh, your recent announcement vis-a-vis the uh, special dividend, which is obviously, for a company of your size, $7.5 million is, uh, you know, a big, big chunk, chunk of your assets. Regardless of that, it seemed to be the reaction of the shares on the day that the investors might have been hoping for a bit more. Is any of this uncertainty, this backdrop, did any of that feed into your your the your, the rate at which you wanted to to pay out this dividend, which had been previously flagged? Uh, no, no, actually, Alex, you know, really, that had no no bearing on the decision. So, one thing to understand about our business in terms of the the uh, sort of seasonal cash flows of the business. You know, we generally start the year, uh, or, or December 31st, is generally our high point in terms of our cash balance, our net cash position. Um, generally speaking, through the first half of the year, we um, have a lot of significant outlays in the form of uh, bonus payments, uh, final dividend payment, tax payments, and often a lot of our CapEx is, is typically in the first half of the year as well as any option settlements or RSU settlements that occur. So all of that generally occurs in the first half of the year. So invariably, our, our June 30 cash balance will, will be less than the December 31st balance. And then in the second half of the year, we don't have those significant outlays, so the cash balance continues to, to ramp up to get back to a high point in December 31st. So when we, um, <clears throat> you know, when we considered the amount of the special dividend with the board, you know, we took into consideration our, our net cash position, you know, current net cash position, the cash requirements in front of us, uh, you know, the seasonal sort of trend that I just described to you, um, and, and, and the intention to maintain a net cash reserve of at least $10 million. Um, you know, all those factors were considered, and, and 7.5 was considered to be the appropriate amount, given, given all those elements. Just, just to turn to uh, uh, cash generation and uh, profitability. I mean, last year that marked your, I think, your sixth successive year of, of operating profit margin increases. I mean, how much further is there to go with this? So, 
so the way we look at it, we look at it in, in two, two ways. Um, you know, on the gross margin side of things, I, I'd say it's, it's very limited upside to the current current levels. We, we you know, approached 57%, uh, just under 57% in 2016 uh, on the gross margin uh, side. And, and that was driven in part by price increases and some productivity gains. And I think, you know, price increases are, you know, become increasingly difficult after you've gone through, you know, four four odd years of price successive price increases. So I think there's there's kind of modest upside on the gross margin side, and on the on the uh, sort of adjusted EBITDA margin side, you know, I think we do see some upside, um, you know, because there is some some operational leverage of the business um, in terms of we don't it's it's not direct linear our opex requirements to our, our revenue growth. But, but what <clears throat> I'd say there's modest upside there, but what we really try to balance is making long-term investments to support longer-term growth. Yeah. So each year we look to invest approximately $2 million in SG&A, which is largely additional headcount. Uh, and that's in part to, to make sure that we're driving um, you know, incremental revenue streams, we're, we're supporting uh, the global expansion, you know, the key elements of our growth strategy. And when we see opportunities to pool expenses in uh, to make investments that will benefit us in the long term, you know, we'll do that, which will ultimately limit the upside on the op- operational margins. But we think it's the right thing to do uh, in the long term. So it's a balancing act for us. And I, I'd say we have some, you know, some improvement opportunities, but, but we'll always balance that with, with investment to, to drive longer term growth. Excellent stuff. John and Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. That's a conversation we've just had with uh, Samara Enterprises, ticker is SOM. Uh, to listen to more podcasts like this, go to Acast, iTunes or the Investors Chronicle website.